Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. Today, our guest is Allison Leopold Tilly, a partner in Pillsbury's corporate practice. Named one of the top women leaders in tech law by the recorder for five consecutive years, Allison advises technology companies, including on their formation, venture capital financings, M&A transactions, IPOs, and other securities transactions and board governance. Allison not only represents startups and emerging growth entities, but also advises venture capital firms, entrepreneurs, and multinational public companies. As counsel to both acquirers and target companies in the tech sector, she has closed billions of dollars of M&A deals and is a recognized leader in her practice areas. Thanks for joining us today, Allison. Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. We've selected a topic that's been front and center business news, but seems to be gaining even more momentum lately. I know you're passionate about this topic, and I can't wait to hear your perspective on it. Diversity in the boardroom. Perhaps you can give our listeners a little background on this issue and then talk about some recent legislative developments in California that are helping to drive progress in this area. I'm happy to, Joel. Diversity in the boardroom is a topic that has been around for a long time, but we've seen very little progress in the area. However, California has recently taken the leading role on board diversity. You may have heard about it, but California passed a few bills relating to companies incorporated in California and also companies that are headquartered here. In 2018, California passed SB 826, which required boards to have one female director by the end of 2019, and either two to three in total by the end of 2021, depending on the size of the board. Now California just announced another bill on September 30th. It's SB 979, and that requires that boards achieve other diversity as well. SB 979 requires that boards have at least one director from an underrepresented community by the end of 2021 and two to three by the end of 2022. Similar to the rule in connection with female directors, this rule requires that boards with five to eight directors have at least two diverse directors on their boards, or if they have nine or more directors that they have three by the end of 2022. And you might wonder what it means to be a director from an underrepresented community. At this point, there's not a lot of guidance as to exactly what that means. But what California has stated is that it is based on individuals' self-identification in the categories of Black, African-American, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, Native Hawaiian, or Alaska Native, and are also people who self-identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Both of these laws require that the Secretary of State publish a report on the number of corporations in compliance. So it's very interesting to see what companies are actually doing. The last report was at 2019, so not too far into SB 826, which was about female diversity. But when that was published, they noted that there are 537 companies that are subject to the rule, and at that point, 184 were in compliance. So it's a little disappointing, the number that were in compliance at the end of that first year, when they only needed to have one woman on the board. 
but at least we are seeing movement in the right direction. I agree, Allison, although it does seem like now might be a good time to see more progress uh, because in addition to legislative initiatives, there's also been a strong push by activist investors and asset managers such as BlackRock, State Street, Calsters, and CalPERS. Can you tell us more specifically about some of these efforts and the impact they are having? I'm happy to do so. And I might add, given the timing of when we're recording this, Joel, that we now have our first female vice president-elect. So hopefully that will have some impact on the world as well. BlackRock, as you may know, is the world's largest asset manager, and they've called for their portfolio companies to increase gender diversity on boards. Now, keep in mind, this came out last year, and the California increased diversity came out this year. So it will be interesting to see if BlackRock moves their diversity initiatives from just the female aspect. They are also practicing what they preach, is they have five female directors on a board of 18 and one African-American director, according to BlackRock's self-disclosures. And they've also made a commitment to achieving 30% female representation in their senior management by 2020. And hopefully money talks because BlackRock manages $6.85 trillion in assets around the world. And we definitely saw some impact in the 2019 proxy season as to how people were voting. In addition, ISS, who is one of the self-governors of corporate governance, in 2020, they updated the rules of what they are going to look for. And they now are asking companies to account for the lack of women on their boards. For the upcoming proxy season, ISS has said that they will recommend against the chair of the nominating committee and potentially other directors as they determine if the board has no women directors or if it lacks a firm commitment to achieve gender diversity. And what they state is required to have a firm commitment is a plan with measurable goals. So it'll be interesting in this proxy season to see what impact that has. I've also noticed that a number of the uh, activist investors and asset managers are actually publishing the numbers of board slates that they have voted against as a way to show that they're really putting their money where their mouth is. So again, it seems like uh, this is hopefully ripe to make a lot more progress this year. I know that California often receives a lot of criticism for what some people view as overreaching or imposing their unique views on companies that have no choice but to comply because of the importance of the California market. But it often turns out that California is ahead of the curve on issues that eventually develop a broad following and are later recognized as having been the right thing to do all along. Motor vehicle emissions and safety are obvious examples, and it seems to me that board diversity is going to be another one. I know there's an intuitive sense that these developments are the right policy, but isn't there also empirical data to support them as well? There definitely is. And you mentioned about California potentially being overreaching. Since California's rules apply to both California incorporated companies and also companies headquartered here, a lot of people think that they don't have the ability to regulate the companies that are headquartered here and only the companies that are incorporated here. But thankfully, nobody has taken this to court. I don't think any company wants to be the poster child suing against diversity. So at the moment, everyone is working to comply with this. And there's a lot of information out there for those that are data-driven as to why this is a good idea versus just socially a good thing to do, but from a business point of view as well. 
In a McKinsey study, they found that diverse boards of directors are 43% more likely than non-diverse boards to achieve financial performance above the national industry median. So that's where, once again, money talks. Also, in a PwC 2019 survey, they found that 94% of directors agreed that board diversity brings unique perspectives to the boardroom, and 76% of existing directors said they believe it enhances company performance. Also in 2019, E&Y, not to be outdone by PwC, came out with a report, and they stated that more than half of the investors that they spoke to noted that board diversity should be a top focus in making investment decisions. They also noticed that after growing just 1% each year since 2013, the rate of increase in women-held directorships has doubled, increasing two percentage points both in 2018 and 2019, so that now that 23% of public company board's members are women. If this pace sustains, there'll be gender parity in the S&P 1500 by the year 2033, which is still a long way off, but just two years ago, it was estimated to be around 2046. So at least we're moving once again in the right direction. And then there was a very interesting article that just came out in September on boardmember.com. Don Naus, who is on the boards of Target, Kellogg, and McKesson, stated that he thinks management needs to focus on its core processes in the current times, And the key to doing so is having relevant skill sets and diverse skill sets and points of view at the board governance level. He thought that required a mix of broad perspectives of gender, racial, cultural, age, and even industry experience. And that having that wide spectrum of expertise leads to a more robust discussions at the board level. He also noted that there's evidence that heterogeneous groups do a better job of getting to the right solution than homogeneous groups. And that's more and more important today when businesses are facing these unprecedented times of the global pandemic and trying to figure out how to manage themselves and how to adapt. So having a diverse board, helping them navigate through these difficult times is a proven benefit. It sounds like the stars may have finally aligned to really make these efforts successful, combining legislation, grassroots support, and data to back it all up. To wrap up, Allison, can you tell us how companies have been reacting to these developments? Yes, I think companies are taking them seriously. They're understanding not only the requirement of having a diverse board, but the benefit as well. We noticed that there's a lot of activity in the recruiting of female board members and a new interest with the new California regulations in first starting to have existing boards self-identify so a company knows what their landscape is, and then reaching out to recruiters and networks trying to find a more diverse board candidates. I can tell you that numerous boards that we work with, most of them had at least one female director, but now they are very actively focusing on adding more female directors and more diverse gender, ethnic, uh, sexual orientation, all the different diversities, they're very focused on increasing that representation on their board. And I've got a client that's just about to go public that has a board of seven people of which five are women. So (laughs) that is just, to me, amazing. And it's it's showing that there's a real evolution in what the boardroom is going to look like. That's excellent. Allison, I've really enjoyed chatting with you about these board diversity developments and the impact they're having on companies. Thank you so much for all of your great insights. Thank you for asking me to join you today, Joel.
And now it's time for This Week in History. It would be very easy to choose November 11, 1918, the day on which World War I ended, as the event to celebrate this week. However, I'd like to go with a less obvious choice. As Allison mentioned in our discussion earlier, Kamala Harris has become the first woman ever elected Vice President of the United States. In celebration of this History in the Making event, my choice for this week is a similar groundbreaking event that occurred 15 years ago on November 8, 2005. On that day, when the people of her country voted overwhelmingly to make her the President of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, known as Africa's Iron Lady, became the very first democratically elected female head of state of an African country. Sirleaf has a lengthy list of accomplishments. She's recognized as a global leader for women's empowerment and led Liberia through reconciliation and recovery following that nation's 10-year civil war, as well as the Ebola crisis. In addition, during her 12 years as president, she helped preserve peace, erase the national debt, and improved Liberia's economy. Among her many awards, Sirleaf has won the Nobel Peace Prize and the U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom, and was included in Forbes 2012 list of the 100 most powerful women in the world. On that note, I wish you all to have a great week, and I hope you can join us again next week for another episode of Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.